Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. All right, well, hello again. Uh, welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos. I am Senior Vice President of Wireless Operations at Butler America Telecom, and I'm a Calwa board member. This podcast is brought to you bi-weekly. In fact, this is our 15th episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, my guest today is Douglas Patterson from Crown Castle. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. Thank you. Glad to be here. I can call you Doug, right? Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, well, I, I got a friend who uh, is named James, and if someone calls him Jim, he, he corrects them, which is a really awkward moment. So thanks, Doug. All right. So, well, uh, we're going to be chatting uh, to, today chiefly about your uh, robust fiber network. But before we do, uh, let's do just a quick trip down memory lane. Um, you've been at Crown as a regional director for four years, but prior to that, you had an extensive uh, tenure at CenturyLink for nearly 17 years. So uh, talk about that, but you know, how did you get into telecommunications to begin with? Well, um, it's kind of in the in the blood. Um, my dad retired uh, through the Pactel, Pac-Bell, AT&T route. And um, when I dressed up as a kid uh, uh, for Halloween, I'd be the phone guy. Um, but uh, shortly after, um, out of high school and, and did a brief stint in the Air Force, I um, was able to get on with U.S. West, kind of an entry-level role um, in Denver, Colorado. And it was right when the U.S. West Quest uh, merger uh, back in 2000 and um, was more on the network operation side where in a network surveillance center. And so I started out in the kind of the, the inside network management, network operations side of it, and then went outside and um, managed installers, um, was a supervisor in, in Arizona, and then, and then uh, got up into the Pacific Northwest where I went into the um, construction management world where we were deploying a lot of remote DSL uh, cabinets to um, roll out broadband. And that was with the Quest, uh, when it was Quest Communications. And then um, after a few years in 2011, CenturyLink acquired Quest and um, really enhanced or really even more deployed the um, broadband fiber to the home um, uh, initiative and, and spent quite a bit of time, several years, uh, in charge of um, Oregon, Washington, on their broadband deployment for uh, fiber to the home, we did close to two million homes passed in a couple years. Uh, you know, just really leveraging any asset there to overbuild and and drive um, gigabit to the home. So, been in been in telephony for over twenty years and and uh, in multiple capacities, but 
Um, I've appreciated seeing the the surveillance side, the the inside of it, and then going to the outside and kind of well-rounded um, understanding of of what it takes to operate and in, in, um, enhance and overbuild a network. Right on. I appreciate that background. I might ask you, uh, you said you managed installers. Did you, uh, you, to manage them, did you ever have to do it? Were you ever in attics and trying to find the best route for a, a line straight to a modem yourself? Uh, absolutely. And, and well, I, I'll say when I first became a supervisor, I spent a lot of time in, in riding with uh, my technicians. Um, but I will also say when I was a kid, summers were spent working with my dad wiring buildings. And um, so I knew the uh, old copper color code when I think I was 13 or 14. And uh, um, it's just one of those things where it was always fascinating and something that's always stuck with me. But spending time with those uh, installers on repairs on um, installations was was something I really enjoyed and I enjoy it today, spending time out with the frontline employees, seeing what they face, understanding what they face. And you learn so much um, by just seeing, um, you know, a glimpse into their world and how decisions and, and, and um, things that happen now at my level, I, it helps me understand impact to them and impact to um, how we deploy and then, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed spending a lot of time doing ride-alongs, doing uh, you know, doing installation, doing installs, and and there were several times I crawled houses, you name it, where uh, <laughs> you had to uh, fix uh, um, inside wiring and yeah, yeah. No, I I, 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 it'll be a topic for maybe another podcast. But when I was out of high school, this is a while ago. I'll go. I'll, I'll date myself. Nineteen eighty-eight. I worked for a, a company called Rogers Cable Systems, which eventually became Adelphia, then Time Warner, Spectrum, etc. But uh, I, I, I have a bunch of stories, and uh, I'll leave it at that for now. But uh, yeah. so, hey, before we. Uh, uh, you know, you know, you're my. Uh, I think you're technically my third guest from um, Crown. You know, I had Scott Longhurst on, more in his capacity as Calwa uh, president, and then I had one of your government affairs folks, uh, Rochelle Swanson, on another. I'm sure you work with them closely, but um, I haven't had somebody uh, on your side of the house. But before we go into into our topic today, which is fiber in particular. Um, you know, let's say you're at a cocktail party or whatever, and somebody says, you know, you work for Crown Castle. You know, what's your elevator speech, you know, just to kind of get the conversation you know, off that or whatever? Like, what, what is Crown Castle for our listeners who may not know all of, all of what you guys do? But what's your short answer for what's Crown Castle? Well, um, I'll try to give the short answer, but I love, I love talking about it. And, okay. and just because our model uh, is – so um, uh, the, as connectivity grows and the need for infrastructure that's going to support it, our model embraces that. And we, we are a shared model that allows for multiple customers to co-locate on the same infrastructure. And when I mean by infrastructure, I'm talking our 40,000 um, cell towers. We have 80,000 um, small cells on air or under construction and 80,000 route miles of fiber. So tying together those three components allows us to offer a full um, a full 
network that a carrier can can leverage and and because the infrastructure is shared businesses and carriers can expand their networks quicker at a significantly reduced cost based on us spreading that out um, am amongst multiple carriers so um shared shared infrastructure that is our that is at the end of the day what we do and whether it's a vertical tower or an asset that's in the underground as a fiber optic network we we build it in a way that we can accommodate multiple customers and and um they all work together and and we're, we're seeing that success all right excellent yeah so you know we're talking specifically with you about fiber and it's a topic that's come up really on the last two podcasts I've done. I mean, SCE, I had a, a guy on a couple weeks ago, uh, Brian Ryan, talking about their fiber network. And then I was talking to Mike Harris of Sci-Fi Networks a couple weeks before that about their uh, municipal model. Um, so I love this topic because it's something that's new to newish to me, being more of a wireless macro guy most of my career. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned 80,000 miles. I mean, that's not even, that's a, you're not just getting into this. You guys have been at it a while. So, you know, what did Crown recognize early on? Maybe you already touched on it, but you guys went big on fiber and, and you know, we, uh, what, what, maybe you get into that a little bit. Why did Crown so go, go so big on fiber? With, with 5G, with um, what is coming in the next, in new innovations and, 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 what 5g is driving um the the need for capacity within a network is is only growing every single day as we all are users of the network and we all are users of our cell phones and we're we are driving more and more demand um crown definitely saw the need to invest into fiber and and specifically small cell as a way to um, supplement and, and um, uh, really, it, it's it's with, with with the capacity on a cell on a cell tower with the with you could have thousands of connections. Um, we've all seen where you know we've experienced where you could have a signal and you can make a call, but your broadband connection maybe isn't isn't what you would like, and with 5G, with the need to really densify the network and take the data demand off of a cell site, that's really where the fiber and uh, small cell comes into play. And, and it's going to provide throughput, the data throughput, that will be unprecedented that we've seen. I mean, the, you've seen a lot of the tests and the speeds of 5G. Um, that is also opening up all the new innovations for Internet of Things for um, telehealth and, and um, you know, one thing we're seeing with telehealth and, and being able to um, uh, really, you know, someone can have a procedure and then recover at home and then do all of their physical therapy and whatnot remotely. Well, that's all going to require fiber and it's going to require um, a significant amount of capacity to tie all of the the carrier the wireless networks together from small cells back into not just the hub or where the towers are but also beyond that into um the internet world and, and connecting data centers and and whatnot so the, the the need for high capacity fiber networks 
is only increasing and and that is that is really the the nutshell of why as this new technology as 5g rolls out the need for fiber is going to continue right that's right so i mean there's a lot of fiber out there a lot of people are in the fiber space you got cable companies uh, traditional uh, phone companies like you know um, verizon or frontier at&t uh, then you got these newer players like netly and sci-fi and and others even cities um, some of them are building dark fiber and whatnot so uh, it what differentiates crown's network maybe from what i just mentioned so the need to really um deliver that dense fiber rich fi- you know high capacity fiber counts for to support all of these cell sites to support the the expanding of of small cells in a network what i think differentiates crown is really that very high capacity when when you when you look at my my previous life um as um, an ISP or, or what you see a lot of ISPs do, you know, when they're, when they're building a fiber to the home, you're not going to need more than a fiber to a home. And you can scale that one fiber many times over and, and with, with just changing out technology on either end of it. Um, with the Internet of Things and the development of, every, you know, what is happening today, but what is you know, the, the significant amount of innovations that will come as a result, um, we're going to need to be ready for all of those and, and the internet of things, all of the, um, just this, the incredible amount of connectivity that's going to be required. And so I'll, I'll say what differentiates us is when we invest into a network, we are putting in very high capacity. So when you guys put in this kind of high, capacity and i need a little education here um the you know the download speeds today or what up to for the for the user at home what 10 gigabit um, so if it, if a connect to, if a an isp at a at a residence if they have like i have fiber to my house and i yeah. can get a gig i can get one gig down one gig up okay um there are services or are isps out there that are starting to offer two gig and and really, I mean, 10 gigs, not an issue. Um, you know, you, you can really provide anything, right. You know, if you have the fiber in place, it's just a matter of, of cost. And if the end users would actually pay for it. Right. What I'm getting at is, um, you know, just like the cell sites, you know, they, they kind of look the same as they did 20 years ago, you know, minus a few branches here and there or whatnot. But, you know, from 1G to 5G, we know that they're doing a whole lot more than they were. Right. But, they, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to get at in my indelicate way is if the, if you, the fiber you're laying down today, is that going to need to be replaced in like 10 years, 20 years? Because, you know, technology, you know, tends to go like that, you know, like, you know, we can't even imagine, oh, God, what can we do with all this bandwidth? And then like 10 years, we're like, we need more bandwidth. So I guess the question is, does fiber need to be replaced over time for more capacity? Um, it needs to be augmented to a degree. However, there is technology that we utilize a lot of other um, fiber providers utilizing utilize when we offer a lit service. Mm-hmm. So you could take a fiber and be able to offer what's called DWDM, uh, which is dense wave division multiplexing, where you can um, 
transmit between two points, um, you know, roughly 80 kilometers, 100 kilometers, where you can transmit and, and the light spectrum when you bend light in reason like a prism and you look in a prism and you can see really what that's doing is bending light, which is how you can see different colors of light. Mm -hmm. And there's equipment that uses every one of those different colors of light as a highway between those two points. So you could have technologies there to have two to 300 different colors of light or channels to transmit over one fiber or two fibers in some cases. Mm -hmm. And that's how you were able to utilize that one specific fiber asset longer to say, hey, these different channels can go um, 40 gig, 100 gig. There's there's lab testing and products out there now where it's getting two to 400 gig over one of those spectrums of light. So when you look at the ability to utilize our existing asset yeah there's ways to the technology and it's and it's been around for a couple of years but it's continuing to only get get um better with more channels and and the way the equipment is it's it's phenomenal this is on glass that could be 30 years old ah, um, nice. and and the quality of glass the quality of optics is that that's never it has not been an issue just because of of you know, we have very good fiber manufacturing um, that we utilize and we deploy with. And, and but yeah, there is ways to utilize that existing um, fiber strand and be able to channelize it, offer more lit. Now, dark fiber, dark fiber, if you offer dark fiber, that basically takes up that that fiber strand. And, you know, you would have if you ran out of of that capacity, you'd have to then augment as a provider. So, so it just really depends on what is um, being offered as a service, and and there are definite ways to help leverage that 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 asset or to be able to lease up that asset with offering different types of product, such as lit. Excellent, excellent. Oh, that was really helpful. Thank you. So, to get this stuff in the ground, right? Um, you know, cities and uh, you know have I think sometimes the cities uh, have and residents of cities have experienced, you know, a lot of multiple players, uh, doesn't, it's not just t t telecom. It's, it's others that are in and out of the right of way and, and, uh, you know, their residents complain and whatnot, but, you know, I touched on, um, micro trenching a couple episodes ago and my guest said that, you know, they're doing about 2000 feet a day, um, in, in, in one community. So, um, in, in, in fact, you know, when I was talking to Scott about, uh, you know, in, about this and then he introduced me to you, um, he, he specifically said, oh, you want to talk micro trenching, you, you need to talk to Doug. So hmm. let's talk about micro trenching a little more because it seems like it's really a game changer in a lot of ways. Can you maybe uh, go uh, go a little more in depth about what it is and what its benefits are? Absolutely. So micro trenching is really a um, it's a unique way to deploy a network and, and either add on to a network, deploy a new network. And when when you consider to your point of, of the way we have deployed and way a lot of other carriers have or uh, providers have deployed um, in the past where you've seen construction and you see steel plates, 
you see road closures or lane closures and, and slowed traffic through a metro area. Um, that has been the traditional way that that has been been deployed over over decades. And this is an innovation where um, you can do the very similar deployment. When I say similar deployment, I mean from a fiber capacity. So back to the whole fiber, um, high fiber capacity, high fiber count. Um, we we still can can in a two inch wide trench that is you know six twelve to sixteen inches deep. We're able to put the same amount of capacity we were putting in very large open trenches and um, that were obviously costlier and more impact for the right of way. So micro trenching is an innovative way to um, build underground infrastructure in the right of way. And what it consists of um, there, first of all, there's many variations. Uh, but what, you know, my I'm probably most familiar with is, you know, it's actually like a mini rock saw or or and it has a blade that does a very clean cut in the right of way or in in the street and um it's va it, it will vacuum up the spoils as you are deploying so it's a very clean operation it's a moving operation where traditionally if you're you know have a long open trench that could be open for weeks because you have to build enough to be able to connect it you know a, a, a conduit and, and, and infrastructure down far enough to where then you can re you know, backfill your pit and backfill your trench. This is a moving operation and micro trench could be a half inch wide, could be four inches wide. We, we have found our sweet spot to be in that two inch range where we can still put in, um, our interduct package that we get, a, we get a very high capacity. Now there is ways to do it, um, shallower and, and narrower and, and, those are all good ways as well, but um, micro trenching is has been a game changer in the way that we have um, deployed in 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 markets that I'll say without it we wouldn't have invested and in, and in, in deployed as much because the traditional methods were prohibitive and um, so it, it's been exciting and it's been fun to be a part of and seeing um, how we're able to. Uh, enhance our network using this using this technology right right it does seem exciting and I, I I have seen I have seen the the end result very clean you could even maybe even paint a bike lane uh, uh, white stripe over what it, it, no one even would even know it's there and even when you have it you know just it in black you, you know you can the resin or whatever can match the pavement, um, right? I mean, exactly. so, so um, you can make it off gray if it's a little older pavement, or you make it black or whatever, but it's still clean looking. Um, but, you know, with new technologies and you have, what, 430 some odd cities, let's say just in California alone and dozens of counties or whatever. I mean, that's a lot of public works departments and stuff. So um, obviously the new stuff is there's a lot of education about it whatnot when it comes to interfacing with communities and the cities and stuff. And so that leads me to the question uh, about, you know, the recent California Senate state Senate bill 378 when, and I, I only know just a little bit to be dangerous, Doug, but it seems okay. like it's kind of like, well, like, like other things, it's like, we can't do it 500 ways. Uh, uh, Thank you very much, jurisdiction. So is it kind of a standardization of protocols and procedures? Uh, tell us about this state Senate bill. 
Yeah, and, and you mentioned Rochelle and Scott earlier, and, and they, they were um, a major part, obviously, of the success of, of getting this passed in California. And really what it's doing is it's setting up more of the formal conversation to have the microtrench standard. And to your point, and, and you know, it's not going to change the fact that we're going to go and be partners with these jurisdictions. We're, we're going to want to find what, um, uh, you know, what their concerns are and, and work through those design standards for them. But um, it is, it's a way to formalize micro trenching as a viable um, deployment viable construction method in the state of California. And, and, you know, it's, it's, so that, that, that part's great. It, it really creates the formality of it versus um, us having to, to not just explain where we've been successful in this city or in this city, but this helps us really start the conversation with, Hey, this is an approved standard. This is, this is a viable way to construct in the state. So um, excited for that. No, no, I, you know, and I think a lot of, um, you know, leaders on the public works side uh, would be excited about it too, because when there are standards that they can lean on or codes that they can point to when um, they're going about their, their, their work or communicating with their residents about these things, you know, it, it makes it kind of easier. For, it could make it easier for them too, right? So I think right. it, it's the, for the whole infrastructure community, both the, on the permitting side, as well as those who are, you know, doing the work. So, um, well, thanks a lot, Doug. I, that was really educational. I mean, we could probably go on and on and on, of course, and get deeper and deeper into um, the methods of uh, deployment and the construction challenges and all that stuff. And But uh, this has been super educational. And I think you know, I've, I've kind of had a theme over the last few episodes that kind of had touch, have touched on fiber a lot. Because I think, you know, uh, you know, back in the past, you know, the wireline world and the wireless world had kind of had this sort of uh, Berlin Wall between them a little bit at times, you know. And it seems to be crumbling. And it's because, as you pointed out, you know, you can't have all this high-capacity 5G antennas going up without the fiber backhaul. So it's, you know, I think you'd agree that the, you know, the two sides of the telecom house are really um, coming together um, quickly. Yeah. And you guys are probably, you know, you guys are probably a trailblazer on that because there are companies that just do wireless and there's companies that just do wireline and you guys do both because those companies are your customers. (laughs) Right. We're we're excited (laughs) about our shared infrastructure model and what it's doing to impact and, and um, we feel we're well positioned there. Oh, great. Well, thanks so much for your time. And it'll be live sometime on Tuesday night, which will be the 26th. That's tomorrow. So uh, thanks again, uh, Doug. And thank you all for listening. And again, if you guys have any topics that you are uh, interested in hearing about, you know, please just connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message or email me. I'm, I'm kind of easy to find. Um, but Until next time, stay safe out there. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.